The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. There is a message that no one really wants to hear. It's not just in America. It's in places like Argentina as well. I'm going to share with you further today a part of the Argentine revival story. It's a story written by R. Edward Miller. He's the one who lived the story. He's the one God used to ignite the fire. The book is The Flaming Flame. The Flaming Flame. But first, just a word about the message that no one wants to hear. Romans, the sixth chapter. Verse 3, are you ignorant that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Really, or literally, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death, just as Christ was raised out from among dead men. By the glory of the Father, we also may walk around in newness of life. Now, it gets more clear about this message in verse 6. This is Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, so that the body of sin may be destroyed. That word in the Greek is literally to destroy. It's not to subdue. It's not to hold down. It is to destroy that we not hereafter serve sin. One having died has been freed from sin. The message that most do not want to hear is that you have been in Christ Jesus freed from sin if you choose to be crucified with Christ. Why is it that Pilgrim's Progress is the only broadcast on WAVA? AM or FM that does not stand for the sinning Christian. The Bible doesn't believe in a sinning Christian. Listen, verse 11. So also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it. And you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin, but once and for all yield yourselves to God as living out from among spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. You understand that grace is not a license for sin. Grace enables us to live free from sin in a way that the law never could. 
Now again, there is one more passage I want to look at with you. Verse uh, 22. Now, having been freed from sin and having been made servants for God, you have your fruit in holiness and in the end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the message that people don't want to hear today is that you can be set free from sin and that to enter into salvation, you must be set free entirely from sin with no allowance for sin. We've been called out of sin. I know. Many don't want to hear that message because they want to be free to live out their NASCAR ambition. They want to be free to watch every wicked thing on television. They want to watch the football, which is violence. It is against the Spirit of God. They want to be free to dip their hands and their heart into the wickedness of this world and yet claim they are covered by the covering over of grace. It is a despicable lie. Now, I'm going to share with you the impossibility wall from Argentina. I want to tell you that I have faced now for more than 50 years that same impossibility wall in Washington, D.C. I will not settle for anything less than the fullness of the Holy Spirit coming and convicting of sin and changing men and women totally into the likeness of Jesus. Some of you who listen to this broadcast have been willing to stand with me and a small core of people at the prayer chapel stand with me for this wonderful work of release and freedom in Jesus. It's not about condemnation. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Not in religion, not in denominationalism, but in Christ Jesus. Have you been set free? Have you been willing to go all the way with Jesus? Or do you make excuses? We must have the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. We must have Jesus. Listen as I share this story of revival in Argentina. You'll never have a successful evangelistic campaign in Liberia. Why, after many years of struggle and sacrifice, we have less than a dozen members in our little gospel chapel. And furthermore, it's impossible to make converts here, exclaimed the elderly missionary ladies. The town of Liberia, the spiritist center of the whole area, is hard, impenetrable unreceptive to the gospel no evangelist has ever prospered here and you won't either years of sacrificial toil to establish a meager gospel toehold had convinced the two elderly missionary ladies that the town of Liberia was too difficult even for god 
discouraged, defeated. They were just holding on until their heavenly father called them home. Oh, I hear that. Yes, I have sometimes felt the same way. I'll just hold on in Washington, D.C., preaching this gospel that nobody wants to hear, but it's the true gospel. It's, it's what the scriptures teach the gospel is. Until Jesus calls me home. I'm not willing to settle for that. In obedience to God, I've come to Washington, D.C. and spent my life here calling for revival. Now, I've been inexperienced. I had much to learn. I've made many mistakes. But I've not changed the one call of my heart. And that is to love and serve Jesus and his people. And to call you to the obedience that comes by faith and from faith. And to call you to pray with me for the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Washington, D.C. This is a city of occultism, of corruption. It is a Satanist stronghold. And I stand against it in the name of Jesus, believing that he will bring revival to this city. He writes, in obedience to God's leading, a national worker and I had gone to Liberia in mid-February of 1955, planning to hold a gospel meeting in the small outdoor patio of a believer's home. With that in mind, we had gone to visit the missionaries to seek their cooperation. As they continued talking, a word began to resound within me. Impossible? Impossible in Liberia? Impossible for God? Was anything too difficult for him? Their faithless words of discouragement, defeat, kindled a holy fire within me. It seemed that I could hear an antagonist blatantly and brazenly defying the living God as Goliath had defied the armies of Israel. Was anything impossible with God? Suddenly, God's plan was clear. The missionaries' gloom and defeatism had crystallized a resolution in my mind. We'll rent the largest building in town and have a successful evangelistic campaign in, in Liberia if it means mortgaging everything we have. Expressing the decision audibly triggered another torrent of incredulity. You're, you're thinking of renting a large hall for a gospel camp? Impossible! The largest building in town? That's impossible! You, you, their charge is excessive. You couldn't rent it anyway because it's continually in use. But the more they talked, the stronger my determination became. Well, you'll need police permission, which they'll never give you. And even if you did announce a gospel meeting, no one would attend. So it's futile to even try. And with that conclusion, the pessimism increased. 
with an ardent determination to tear down the impossibility wall stone by stone, and with an assurance that God had sent us to Liberia, my companion and I left the missionary home to go directly to the largest hall in town and try to rent it. Now, just very quickly, they are doing this out of faith, but also out of the direct command of the Holy Spirit. I've come to this city of Washington, D.C. by faith. I've also come at the direct command of the Holy Spirit to come on this radio broadcast and call day after day after day for those who would be willing to stand with me, a Joseph company, who would be willing to stand, 120 people who would stand with me by faith and lay their lives down for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city and wait upon the Holy Spirit. Now we've at times gotten off track and we've been distracted and people have given up and walked away and said it's impossible. And now we have eight of us who stand in my home, the house of the Lord, in a house church in Washington, D.C., out in Woodbridge, Virginia. I invite you to come. I don't get any calls. I understand. There's an impossibility wall. Most of you don't believe the Holy Spirit will really come. And you don't believe you can live without sin. I'm here to tell you, the gospel teaches that you do not have to any longer continue in sin. You can be set free. It also teaches that you can be healed of your disease and sickness. It also teaches that the Holy Spirit will come in power. I'm going to stand by faith if I'm the only one or with a group of eight people, seven including, eight including myself. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to waver. I believe the word of God. And I thank those of you who even yesterday sent a wonderful gift financially to help carry this radio broadcast. And I'm standing by faith that many of you will also give in the next day or so because we're still about $2,000 short of what we need. I stand by faith. I'm not going to waver. Let me read what happened. When we told the theater manager that we wanted to rent the theater, he bluntly announced, no, we don't rent it. Scrutinizing us very carefully as he smoked a big cigar, he added on second thought, when would you want it? When we told him the dates God had given us, he commented, oh, it's going to be free then, for we're going to be repairing our machines. The rental price that he quoted was just what the elderly missionary ladies had told us, an exorbitant amount well out of reach of our possibilities. Finally, the manager got around to asking the most crucial question of all. And what do you want to rent it for? Then it was our turn to be anxious. Surely, when he knew why we wanted to rent it, he would be even less willing to rent it to us. But even so, we explained as carefully and completely as we could 
what a healing deliverance campaign was and its purpose. A healing campaign, he answered, startled. Oh, I believe in that. We listened, amazed as he told us his story. Some years ago, I was seriously ill with an incurable respiratory affection, affliction. Doctors gave me no hope of recovery. One afternoon, as I was returning from purchasing medicine at the drugstore, I slumped down on the sidewalk against a wall, suffering too greatly to go any further. An article I had read some months before in the Reader's Digest suddenly flashed upon me, the story of how God had done a supernatural something for somebody. The thought came to me, if God did that for him, can't he do something for me? I cried out to him for help, and he heard me. I stood up completely well, and the trouble has never returned. Of course you can have the theater for a healing campaign, he concluded casually. You may have it for the full week for the price of one night's rental. Jubilantly, we left the theater, pondering the mystery of a God who many months before had removed the first stone obstacle in the pathway to an evangelistic healing campaign when he healed an irreligious, unrighteous man of the world. The Commanding Rock Fortress, which enclosed in vulnerable Liberia, was too high to go over, too deep to burrow under, impossible to go around. It just had to come down. Legions of demonic forces guarded the wall through their cooperative spiritist churches. Loberia's fortress reminded us of the centuries-old Inca stone walls we'd seen in Cortez, Peru. Massive stones, painstakingly chiseled and ingeniously designed to fit together in a specific place on the wall without benefit of adhesive or mortar form a wall so strong that even violent earthquakes cannot ravage it. With invincibility, Liberia's granite fortress was determined to withstand us. Lodging seemed impossible to find. A heathenish carnival with its all-night dances and grotesque parades and and spirit of hilarious merrymaking was scheduled the same week as our campaign. The national workers who had promised to minister with us in Liberia excused themselves at the last minute, and they left us alone. The enemy, as a roaring lion, slipped in to attack one of our children. Liberians showed no interest whatsoever. Fiery darts of doubt assailed us. Had we been fools to accept such a challenge alone? Had God really directed us to go to Liberia and that time? Had we been wise to rent such a large building when we had no promise of a congregation? <laughs> you know, I just have to say to you, The fiery darts of doubt have assailed and pierced me time after time. Have I been a fool to spend my life 
these many years preaching on this radio? Had I, have I been a fool to accept the challenge of Washington, D.C., when I know the demonic powers that reside in this city? I was in high school many years ago. And I was invited to come to a college in Washington, D.C. They wanted me to come to that college after graduation from high school. It was my senior year. So I went to that college and I got off the bus with a number of other students who were coming also to tour this college campus. And I was a high school kid. But as I got off that bus in the parking lot, there was a gateway. And above the gateway, it said, Gateway to Service. And as I walked through that gateway, the Holy Spirit spoke to me very plainly, almost audibly, saying, This city is your place of service. I said, Wow. This is where I'm supposed to be. I was... I was startled. But I said, in that case, I'm going to enroll in this college. And I did. And I studied theology and communication. And I started radio there for the first time on a station that's very popular in the city today. I did a Friday night program. When I graduated from college, I was given a scholarship to go to seminary for my Master's of Divinity. When I finished that Master's of Divinity, I was told I was to serve four years in the Pennsylvania Conference to repay that scholarship. And so I began ministry in Pennsylvania in a little backward place, Dubois, Pennsylvania, Clearfield, Pennsylvania, and Putneyville, Pennsylvania. And I drove a three a 200-mile circuit to get to the services, and then another 200-mile circuit to get to the prayer meetings. And I began to Lord, you told me that my place of ministry would be Washington, D.C. I don't know how I can get to Washington. So if that's where you want me, you're going to have to do it. And after two years, I was interviewed and asked, would I please come to Washington, D.C.? And I, of course, said yes. And that conference picked up the cost of the last two years. I was ordained into the ministry, and I began ministry in Georgetown, doing street ministry and running a place called The Gate, which was on M Street. It was a coffee house, a Christian coffee house. And there I preached and ministered. This was to be my place of ministry. 
It's a long story, but I have been in Washington ministering now for 50 years. I have almost nothing to show for it. I am still standing by faith for that revival. And the Lord said to me, when I bring revival in one day, you will accomplish more than you have in your entire years of ministry in this city. Do you think the fiery darts of doubt have not assaulted me? Do you think I have not questioned many times whether I was a fool to accept that word of God to me? Had I really heard from God? Yes, I did hear from God. And yes, he is directing my steps. It's a message that people have not wanted to hear. First, he gave me the message of repentance. And I preached that with all of my heart. And then he gave me the message of righteousness. Of being set free from sin. And I have preached that with all of my heart. And I'm now waiting for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And he will come. Continuing the story, finally, he writes, When I recognized that the police had adamantly refused to grant us the necessary permission to hold the services, I said to them, And what will you do if I should go ahead and start the service without your permission? The policeman replied, I'll come down with my gun and I'll arrest you. My answer to this was, well, come on down then and arrest me, for I'm going to start services in the theater tonight at 8 o'clock. On the huge theater platform, which was large enough to accommodate a 200-voice choir, my wife Eleanor and I stood alone. Her task was to play the accordion, and mine to do the preaching. It seemed as though all hell's legions were mocking and laughing at us, their voices resounding in the almost empty auditorium. The first night, only three people came of Liberia's population of 20,000. They were the ones, the only ones, curious enough to venture into the theater to see what was actually going on. They looked ludicrous in their aloneness in that huge auditorium. The second night wasn't much better. Only eight people came. The third night showed only a slight increase in attendance. And quite obviously, nothing had happened. By the fourth day, we were desperate, so we fled away into a secret place and cried out, But Lord, you promised, and you sent us here. You even told us when to come, pleading for his intervention and reminding him of his faithfulness and fulfilling his promises. We got up from our knees, somehow feeling that God had heard. With renewed faith, we returned to the fourth night's service. That night, 64 people came. The stones of impossibility wall, stubbornly resisting, began to yield 
only as we insistently pushed against them by importunate prayer and faith. The difficult-to-find boarding house room had all been secured. The Spirit of the Lord raised up a standard against the enemy and delivered our defenseless child from the mouth of the lion, and the policeman who had threatened to arrest me never showed up. But another huge boulder still remained. Would it be possible to make converts to Jesus Christ in this spiritus-held fortress of Liberia during devilish carnival week? Unbeknown to us, the Lord had already been working on the very first night when one of the three who attended the service took an anointed handkerchief to a hospital. This lady was doing night nurse duty caring for a dying man. He was being kept alive by intravenous feeding because he had been unable to eat anything for two months. For eight days, he had been unable to even swallow water. The nurse placed the anointed handkerchief on his chest. Several hours later, the man called for a glass of water and drank it all down. The next morning, he coughed up two large cysts that had been obstructing his throat, and he began to eat. Also unknown to us, the Lord had been working on the second night when a prayer cloth was taken by one of the second nighters to a paralyzed man confined to a wheelchair. The news of his healing began to spread throughout the city of Liberia. A young Muslim who came to the front of the auditorium one night said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Muhammad. After talking with him for a few minutes, I challenged, You say that you believe in the power of Muhammad. All right. You come and pray for the sick in the name of Muhammad, and I will pray for them in the name of Jesus Christ. And then we will see whose prophet heals. The next night the youth returned, not to pray for the sick in the name of the prophet, but to request prayer for himself and his family in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Righteousness had promised to arise and push back the death and the deep darkness of Liberia, and nothing could hold him back. He came just as he had promised. No spiritus fortress, no matter how massive, was strong enough to hinder his coming, and his triumphant coming penetrated Liberia's impenetrable and unyielding citadel as his spirit blew upon the impossibility wall, and it came tumbling down without further resistance. One Liberian told me and told another that God was holding in the theater, and almost overnight the building was filled. God graciously bound up the brokenhearted. He proclaimed liberty to the captives. He opened the prisons of them that were bound, and he released the de demon possessed and healed the sick. Liberians knew of a surety that God had come to them. The Muslim youth and his family testified of healing. A widow was healed of a tumor. A relative of the theater manager came requesting prayer because she was unable to have children. God healed her, and in due time she had two lovely children. Another wife, considered demented by all who knew her, was healed. Others were released from deep manias, fears, and depressions. 
A policeman who had studied Red Cross nursing came to the theater with an abscess in his lungs which was destroying the flesh, making the cavity visible from the outside. When he came to the theater, he sat in the back row, for he considered himself too great a sinner to come forward for prayer. One night during the service, all his sins came before him like a flood, and he cried out to God right where he was. Immediately the abscess ceased advancing. When he went to the doctor later on to request an operation to close the wound, the doctor told him that it wouldn't be necessary. The abscess is no longer advancing and will give you no more trouble. Return home in peace and live all the days that your God allot you. There's nothing more you need us to do for you. And with that, the doctor sent the man on his way, rejoicing. The spiritist emissaries who for so many years had domination over Liberia, were discomforted and fled in disorderly array. Finding it difficult to call up their spirits, they eventually disbanded and withdrew from Liberia. Only a tiny token force remained. The last gigantic boulder had been moved out of its place. The successful campaign proved that it was possible to make converts to Jesus Christ in spiritist held Liberia during the hellish carnival week. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. A disappointing defeat, as inclusive as the triumphant victory followed hard on the heels of a miraculous overcoming of Liberia's stone fortress. The young national worker who had promised to pastor the new lambs after the campaign withdrew from the responsibility almost as soon as he had accepted it. There was no one to replace him. Burdened with the care of the infant church in Nicochea and already committed to the building of a Bible institute in Mar del Plata, we found it impossible to continue on. When we were forced to abandon Liberia, agonizing questions tormented us. Had we been wise to bring the lambs to birth and then to leave them to languish alone in the mountains? Had the Liberia campaign, after all, been such a titanic triumph? What would happen to the new lambs in our absence? We committed them all to him, whose they were, and withdrew from Liberia, with heavy hearts and many unanswered questions. Almost two years later, Polish-born Leo, the pastor of the Nicochea congregation, began to feel a heavy burden for the scattered lambs in Liberia. Already busy full-time with the heavy responsibilities of pastoring and building the large church building in Nicochea, he felt an urgency from the Lord to travel regularly to Liberia some miles away. When he contacted those who had heard the gospel two years before, he found indifference, derision, even pessimism. Many testified to having been healed, but they were unwilling to attend further evangelical services. Had they not been healed? Wasn't that sufficient? They no longer suffered. What more did they need? 
and no one seemed to know where Pastor Leo could obtain a hall for gospel services, and no one cared enough to help him search for one. For three months he walked the streets every Monday and Saturday, praying and visiting, but still there was no response. Apparently he accomplished nothing, for no doors opened before him. Had the victory won two years before been altogether in vain, had the spiritist forces recovered after the routing and returned to occupy the land, would the battle of faith and prayer have to be fought all over again? At times, discouragement almost persuaded him to abandon Liberia. But he knew that the Lord had given him a burden for that town, and he must not be swift to relinquish it. Yet could he afford to spend so much time on a seemingly unproductive effort when there was so much to be done in Nicochea? The fortress of Liberia once again stood Im- immovable. As he was walking up and down the streets one, day, one Monday morning, praying, seeking the Lord, faith came into his heart. A living faith that God would do something. He jumped up and down and praised the Lord in a loud voice right there in the street, unconcerned as to who might be listening or what they might think. Now he knew without a doubt that God had heard his prayers and that the devil's chains broken. Victory would come again to Liberia. I'm going to stop there. I'll continue this story next week. But I want to come back and say, yes, I I feel what's being described. I have wondered, is it useless for me to come and proclaim the gospel in Washington, D.C.? Is it possible that this gospel is just out of step with even those who call themselves Christians in this city? In chapter 7 of Romans, verse 5, For when we used to be in the flesh, the passions of our sins through the law used to be at work in our members with the result that we bore fruit to death. But now we were delivered from the law, having died to that by which we used to be bound with reference for us to serve God in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the law, the letter. And then in chapter 8, but you you are not in the flesh but in the spirit since the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, that one is not of him. Chapter 8, verse 12. Then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live in accordance with the flesh, but in accordance with... For if in accordance with the flesh you live, you are certain to die eternally. But if by the Spirit... You daily kill the practices of your body. You will live eternally. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 26. Now, in like manner also, the Spirit takes hold with us against our weakness. We know not what thing we might pray for as we might. But the Spirit himself meets with us in our behalf with unutterable groanings 
so the one searching the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, so that in accordance with God, he pleads in behalf of us, holy ones. Now we know that all things work together for good for those loving God, for the ones being called according to his purpose. I know this is a message that many of you do not want to hear. It is the loud, clear, plain message that the gospel of Jesus sets us free from all sin and unrighteousness. Now, if you have not been set free from all sin and unrighteousness, don't say that it's the blood of Jesus that has not been enough for you, but recognize that you have not yet sufficiently died to self and to pride and to arrogance. And you must come to Jesus quickly. I'm saying this before the coming of the new year, that you could come to Jesus in all the fullness of the joy of what Jesus has done for you. Am I discouraged? No, I'm not discouraged. I know Jesus called me to preach this gospel that nobody wants to hear. It's the forgotten gospel. It's the cast-aside gospel. It's the gospel of true righteousness and holiness that we find in Jesus Christ. It's not the false gospel that teaches that as a sinner, you're covered by grace and you'll make it to heaven. You will not make it to heaven. One sin brought death on all mankind. Do you think that your sin will not bring death on you? Do you think that your sin will not cause you to miss heaven? That you somehow are covered by some magical covering of grace, and when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus? Are you kidding me? That's a lie from the pit of hell. There is no such thing as imputed grace. It's imparted righteousness. It's real. He makes us into new beings. You can be set free today from every bondage. Did you know that all addiction to pornography, to fornication, to alcohol, to opiates, to drugs of all kind, all addictions are from the demonic realm. They are unclean. If today you are struggling with a demonic oppression, that is causing addictions in your life to alcohol or tobacco or to anything. If you are addicted to uncleanness in any way, the gospel that I bring to you in the name of Jesus is that the blood of Jesus can break that addiction and set you free and totally heal you. Many enjoy their sin. And they don't want to hear a message that says you can be set free. I'm coming standing by faith that the day is coming when the gospel of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed to thousands in this city of Washington, D.C. I know I need to be on a a station like Weva FM. But God has not opened that for me yet. I'm waiting. And he's not sent the fullness of his Holy Spirit yet to reach this city. And I'm waiting. 
and I'll wait and, and believe and stand though the heavens fall. For I know the gospel of Jesus Christ sets a man free, releases him from all sin and all wickedness, all uncleanness, makes us into new people. That's the gospel of Jesus. <laughs> Almighty God, I cry aloud in this city that is impenetrable, that is filled with occult, corruption, and religion, powerless religion, to set men free. Lord, I plead today for the coming of your Holy Spirit in mighty power. I plead for that revival wave to come over this city and cause men to repent and turn and get right with you. I pray for each person listening today. Lord, I ask that you would call out of this congregation listening those that will stand with me as a Joseph company who will lay their lives down and sacrifice everything they have for the gospel. For that's what you've called me to do. And Lord, I need others who will stand with me. So Lord, I extend the call at your command and ask that you move now with mighty power in the hearts of those listening. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This month is quickly coming to an end, and we're still far short of having our goal to be able to cover the cost for the radio for this month. I just lay it before Jesus. And I trust him to move in your hearts. <laughs> I'm very grateful for my one dear sister who stands with me, who sent a wonderful gift yesterday on the 25th. I'm looking for more of you because I know God has called for this broadcast to continue. I'm not going to listen to the doubts that assail me. I'm not going to listen to any word but the word of Jesus. So please, I'd like to hear from you. I look forward to hearing from you on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, or you can go to National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I'm so grateful for those of you who have sacrificed and given. You've held me in this place that Jesus called me to. I'm now looking for those few who would like to be a part of a Joseph company who will pray and stand with us for the coming of revival in Washington. You're welcome to just Google National Prayer Chapel and there you'll find an address with a map. Or you're welcome to call me, 703 489 one seven eight five and I'll be happy 
to give you directions to come. We meet every Sunday morning from 10 until noon. Very sharp start right on time and end right on time. It's a time of prayer and sharing in the Word. It's a house church. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue calling and preaching the message that no one wants to hear until God knocks down the granite wall that's encased this city of Washington for so many years. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Thank you for listening. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ.